All right, let's do some podcasting. Let's All just right. fling it. Let's start this. And we'll see what happens. <laughs> All right, game on. We're going. <laughs> uh, We're going. <laughs> I told Mark, let's just start this. We got no no idea what we're talking about, but we're just gonna wing it and start uh, BSing back and forth. Yeah. The, <laughs> the only thing is making sure you flip your switch, Steve, because as soon as we say we're recording, you automatically stop cussing, which is super oh, convenient. Yeah. So yeah. just keep it that is in mind. a. <laughs> if anyone knows me personally, I do tend to swear a lot. I don't know why, but it just happens. <laughs> it's amazing it's how you turn like, it off, man. Off when, we, when we said uh, time to press record on the podcast. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Oh, how's goodness. uh how's working from home with the kids at home there mark yeah you know work from home life is normal for me for those who don't know um i work from home all the time so life's not too different the kids are home from school with schools being shut down but um yeah we we've been through that transition before the kids are obviously home during the summers um when i'm working from home and so they kind of know of like hey dad's in his office he's working leave him alone type thing so it's not too bad. Not nearly as bad as uh, like we we were talking for you earlier, Steve. Your kid's young and uh, like your daughter, you know, not understanding necessarily what's going on. She's wanting to follow you around the house and all that. So for me, it's not too bad. Yeah, yeah. Not this morning was uh, was we actually had a lot of fun, man. I, we, she yesterday she decided my daughter's three. She decided to. She wanted to be, she must have seen some cartoon where they had a, a, a cape on, you know. So she took a blanket and tied it on a cape, you know, around her neck and, and she slept in it uh, and she's still wearing it. So it's been on for like 24 hours. Uh, <laughs> and then this, she just decided that she was, uh, there's a, this cartoon called Vampirina, which is like Dracula's daughter. Um, and then so this morning I was Dracula and I took my, uh, my quilt and I've got that one, um, one of my lighting equipment ones where the revelation where it unzips from the bottom. So I uh-huh. literally, like put that over my head, nice. like, put the foot part over my head. So that was my cape. And we were running around the house playing tag with our uh, capes on. It was pretty fun. Yeah, that's and, cool. Uh, but yeah, I told told her it was time to go upstairs and work. And she just looked at me like, what are you talking about? We're playing, Dad. I, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's going to be a challenging uh, next few weeks. We'll see what happens. Yeah. for Yeah. I mean, for you guys who are like dealing with the work at home struggle and it's new, having a place if possible, even if that's like disappearing into your bedroom makes such a huge difference of like when I'm in here, I'm working, you know, I'll come out and like see the fam, take breaks, whatever, like say, hey, but just having that space is can be really helpful for me it's um i basically built an office in my basement when uh started working from home full-time and so having that space has been really helpful it's also a home office slash hunting room slash man cave got all my gear and everything in here so it's kind of a cool place to to work and hang out anyway nice oh man steve what the heck man the world's pretty crazy dude i know yeah it's funny i come home um shut off everything, just hang out with the family. You know, it was beautiful weather. Went for a hike last night with my daughter, went and picked flowers and she's on, we're on a kick where we're finding like little rocks, you know, that she thinks is looks cool. And we, we take them home and clean them up. And she's got like a whole basket full of cool looking rocks right now. Um, you think the world's just totally normal. And then you, you know, late Turn at night I jump on and start reading more articles and it's like, Holy crap, man. Yeah. It's, yeah. Um, I don't know. All we can do is be smart and wait and see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> this morning I got up early um, and I wanted to hike, but it was raining. So I was like, ah, freaking step ups, man. Because I've been, <laughs> you know, we've been training so hard for the death hike. Yeah. And uh, I made this rule with myself probably 
it's been almost two months ago, at least six weeks ago, that every time I did step ups, I would do more than the previous time. And so it's, it's gotten to the point where it's kind of at a stupid number. Um, yeah. But today, knowing that I'm not coming out for the death hike, and I'm still going to do some sort of death hike on my own here. We're figuring out the plans for that, or I'm figuring out the plans for that. Um, but today, not knowing, like, doing the official death hike, it was way harder like mentally to stay as motivated to do an insane amount of step ups knowing "Ah, i don't have to do this right like i'm not going on the death (laughs) hike and what would have been basically a week from now uh so yeah it's yeah that's kind of depressing but i think it's one of those things that's just another like a side of you know being stuck inside working from home whatever that looks like for you guys is just staying active like you said get out go for a walk go for a hike if you can't do any of that like today where i'm at the weather's crap like go bust out some burpees or some step ups or something like it it doesn't sound great like that you want to do that but i guarantee you'll freaking feel better if you do it because if you just sit around and and be lazy you're gonna feel like crap especially with you know days of this stuff probably facing us yeah yeah good advice for sure um, you know, one thing I heard while I was doing all those step ups, I was listening to a podcast and I already blanked on which one it was, but it was basically talking about everything going on with current times. And, um, this guy's recommendation was basically to look at, you know, there's, there's so much uncertainty, so much what you quote unquote can't do, but his whole frame of mind is at least try to look at this with what what does this give you the freedom to do? So in a lot of ways, people are losing freedom, right? Mm-hmm. Um, freedom to go do things and freedom to whatever. But as things slow down, is you probably find yourself with more time. Like, you know, even if you're working, a lot of the extra activities are going to be canceled. So, you know, for me, things like taking my son to ball practice, that type of thing's canceled. So evenings are more free. So like, what does this give you? Like, find an opportunity, basically. So. Yeah. Um, it's kind of one of those things for me, it's like, you know, there's books I've wanted to read or there's things I've wanted to learn about. Um, even on the work side, you know, there's projects that we wanted to get done, Steve, that just for me, it's like, you know, let's figure out what can we do, like turn this into an opportunity again. It's, it's a bad situation, but just try to find the good of, what can you now do? What do you now have the freedom to do because of this? So I just thought that that was helpful. Again, yeah, it's like absolutely. mindset. Like we talked about yesterday, mindset's going to be really important. Yeah. I imagine uh, I've got a, you know, I always have a running list of house projects to do that whenever I do have, you know, free time or an open weekend where something's not planned already, it's like, okay, jump on that list and immediately default to the first thing on it and just go get it done. And I imagine over the coming weeks, that'll, that'll get knocked out. So <laughs> good time to get some projects around the house done and get some things organized. And, um, I guess that overall from a personal life and business life perspective, um, taking this seriously, but I also want to be really well positioned. Um, when this thing clears up, that's like time to go ready to rock, ready to have, you know, business will get rocking and rolling again. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, you take that into like your hunting gear, like you got lots of time to shoot your gun, shoot your bow, uh, organize your hunting equipment. Get uh, get that all ready so this clears up and hunting seasons are in full swing. Yeah, um, yeah, you're just ready to do it. So, speaking of which, 
yeah, let's talk about hunting. Let's get on to off to <laughs> something more exciting than all this <laughs> right. doom and gloom crap. Well, speaking of hunting, uh, but still kind of doom and gloom, you were set to go to New Zealand, and that's pretty much not going to yeah. happen now, right? Yeah. But what yeah, were you... that was in May. That trip yeah. was May 6th. I was leaving. There's, I mean, it's not canceled yet, but I there's just no way that's going to... Things right. are going to turn around by then, and, and New Zealand's going to... Uh, the U.S. will allow me, or New Zealand will let me fly into their country at this point, so... Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe there's a, I'd put it up 1% chance, you know, Yeah, we'll see. I'm curious just though, like what was, because as you talk about, you know, so many guys are like, yeah, we have some downtime, let's prepare, let's look at gear, let's do this. And, you know, for most guys, that's going to be looking at fall seasons. Um, but what were you doing in terms of New Zealand to like, it's a new place, new, new species, you know, I know you were revisiting some gear things, trying to understand the demands of like hunting in that place and yeah. what that meant for gear. So like, what did some of that look like for you? Yeah, it was, it was kind of fun. Um, you know, I haven't, as far as like extreme cold weather backpacking, I wouldn't say I do a lot of that. Um, so I was kind of, it was, I was looking forward to and, and in process of researching, I, I mentioned on a previous podcast there about, um, I was trying to like, I ordered like four or five, five different, uh, down jackets that, um, ones that you just can't, you know, basically online order only kind of like ordering an EXO, um, ordered them in and just kind of was reviewing them, checking them out. Um, just finding like basically looking for the lightest weight one that I could find that, but balancing warmth, you know? Um, so that was fun process. I was working on that. Uh, I had, I, uh, as far as the down pants, I was researching into those, seeing what were good options. Hadn't really gotten too far yet. Um, First Light has some Uncompagri ones that I've worn. Uh, I wore them last year and and Rifle Deer when it was really, really cold. And they were nice, but I guess my criticism were they were fairly heavy. Um, so I was looking for something a little bit lighter than that. Um, the It was, uh, as we just talked about yesterday, kind of they, you have this new unknown thing, which uh, COVID-19 is for the entire world. Um, but that whole pack in your fears deal, right, of uh, – I had this, you know, I was going on this relatively new hunt in a new country, um, talking with, with, with Pat Tidings, the, the guy I was going to go hunt with. Um, you know, I was trying, like, you know, you just never know. Um, yeah, Pat, I think, is as, is probably as tough as it gets, 10 times tougher than I am, um, just from my assumptions. And you don't know until you actually get out there and hunt with somebody. Um, but when he's saying this is a very physical, tough, hard hunt, it's cold, it's wet, um, you know, you're climbing – I guess the the camp from climb from base camp up to where you start hunting tar was something like 3,500 feet. Jeez. And that's under a mile that you do that. I mean, it was, I think it's less than that even. It's basically straight vertical out of camp. And um, so there was like, I, I've got a pull up bone in the garage. It started like, because uh, it sounded like the majority of the climb was literally like grabbing onto to stuff growing out of the side of the hill above <laughs> you and literally just pulling yourself up. So it's like, yeah, yeah I should probably, you know, I. I I don't do a lot of upper body workout. I'm not super strong in that regard. So I was like, oh, I was working on that, getting ready. And then obviously with death hike prep, I was hiking a lot, just getting in shape because I wanted to be ready for the hike. And and this hunt sounded like it was going to be pretty physical. So yeah. Um, other than that, yeah, I was starting to shoot my bow a bunch. I was just, I was shooting every day at the shop. Uh, just, you know, I focus on like 10 arrows uh but i was in sh- shooting at five yards but i was basically had little pea-sized dots that if i missed that p you know at five yards then that was a bad shot mm-hmm. um so just taking like 10 really really good shots um something might it's not 
anything my dad invented, obviously, but something he always preached was perfect practice makes perfect uh, performance. Um, and so, you know, take take 10 arrows and instead of trying to shoot 30 arrows as fast as you can and not really paying attention to form and stuff like that is uh, take 10 arrows and, and try to hit that dot every single time. And um, so, yeah, I was, that was something else I was working on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's about it, man. Um, we had some cool, we've mentioned I've been working on some prototype uh, pack stuff, um, working on a K4 frame for way, way into the future. I've got some new concepts and ideas I was playing with. And so I was kind of hiking and testing with those during all the stuff that I was doing. I was pretty, uh, pretty excited. It came on, came across a couple things that, um, you know, piqued my interest for sure. Put, to put it lightly. Um, and, uh, yeah. Oh, and then boots, boots is the other thing. Obviously still continuing to, I've got a pile of boots I've been testing and trying to sort through and finding, um, finding something that's going to work for me. I, my feet just, don't agree with boots, but from the sound of New Zealand, it was a, it's a very, very, very wet place, and you got to have something that's that the the boots going to stay as dry as possible. So yeah, you uh, yeah. we mentioned testing boots going back to like the Kodiak podcasts um, when we were mm-hmm. talking about that, and we've had guys follow up, I guess, since then on hey, when's the boot review coming? Because I think we mentioned <laughs> like trying to make it into an actual review. Um, we don't have that, like we didn't prepare for that, but like in general, anything stand out from call it that time through now, maybe let's hit some of the boots we tried then, what yeah. our experiences have been since then. Um, it, for me personally, um, you know, we did a podcast probably, well, I know I've been testing the boots for over a year. I can't remember when the podcast came out, but with those Technica boots. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've run those on and off for a year and, I really, really, really like them. Um, you know, those are one of the boots that among the other new ones we've tested that I've just continued to keep in the rotation. And I, especially recently, like in the last two months, um, having used more options and then mixing those in continually, I really like those. Um, no, it's Technica Forge, right? Yeah, the Forge. Um so that's a that's a good one. There's still things I don't like about them. I think our, you know, if you heard previous chat about them, like initial gripe is just traction um, is still not great. Um, in wet surfaces or in snow, um, like that's my biggest gripe. But from a comfort perspective, from a build quality perspective, um, honestly, like a simplicity of them and materials performance has all been great. Um, I tried Steve... We talked about this on the Kodiak podcast, I think, but one of the pairs that you had gotten, conveniently, we were the same size. We were going back and forth. Um, that Why did I just totally draw a blank on the uh, name, Steve? Yeah, the Garmont Tube Call. Tube Call. That's what it is, the Garmont Tube Call. It was uh, when I wore those in Kodiak the first half of the day, I was like, these are phenomenal. I'm totally buying a pair. And then the second half of the day, I was like, ah, I don't know. They started hurting my feet. <laughs> Uh, I was wishing I had some insoles. I've spent a lot more time with those since then and swapping them with insoles. And dude, my experience is the exact same where when I put them on, they feel fantastic. If I wear them for a bit, they feel fantastic. But if I go for like a super long hike, um, you know, say two hours or more, for some reason, I just like the comfort just fades for me. And that's with trying all different types of insoles. 
Yeah, yeah, I would have um, thought by I think when we talked about that specifically, it was like find the right pair of insoles, and those ones could be potentially awesome. Yeah. yeah, so those are a boot. Like I put them on, and I I feel like I'm gonna love them. They feel like a Cinderella slipper, but I'm still like I don't know. I, there's something about those that I'm not in love with. Which you know, the more we talk about this, when we've said it so many times, like boots are so personal, and it's still one of those deals where like the perfect boot doesn't exist for some reason like to me um it just doesn't exist like there's something that's incredibly comfortable but then it's not as durable it's just it's a weird deal but yeah um yeah what what have you been trying what's (sighs) yeah i I guess i'd like to from a high level um perspective but like you know obviously i like everyone you know, you start with boots because that's what you're told you need to wear when you're hunting. Like, that's just right. That's what you do. Um, and then so my specific and I think I've mentioned this, you know, probably two years ago on the podcast. Like there was literally I was elk hunting in my I was probably 19 or something like that. The day before I was wearing some danners. My feet always just freaking killed me. Some danner pronghorns. My feet just killed me after like four hours of hunting. Couldn't wait to get back to the truck. Always had slippers at the truck to pull your boots off the second you got back. Um, they'd just be hot and, you know, I, I don't remember getting a lot of blisters, but I just remember having like a lot of hot spots and your feet would just be burning and, and just kind of tired and sore and basically hunted one day, uh, and it would just pour rain. The boots got completely saturated. Next day I woke up, it was clear skies and beautiful. And instead of putting on my soaking wet boots, I just put on my tennis shoes and I hunted the elk hunter that day. And it was just like freedom. <laughs> like I felt like I could <laughs> run through the woods. I was quieter. Like I just loved everything about it. Um, and then that immediately started me down the path of, for years, I just wore different variations of, um, Gore-Tex trail running shoes. I remember I had a pair of Vasks for a long time. Um, gosh, dang, there's another company. I don't know if they're even around anymore that I wore theirs for quite a few years, then switched over to Solomon's, you know, XA Pro 3Ds, X Ultras. Absolutely love those. Um, and I wore those in... You know, if anyone's familiar with Idaho, uh, we've got some of the steepest, you know, most rugged, nasty crap in the lower 48. Uh, and I wore those in every inch of the state. Never had any issues. Um, just absolutely love them. Never had, never had blisters. Never had hot spots. Uh, only complaint is uh, just keeping my feet dry. Um, and then four years ago, um, I got. Uh, well, actually six. My dog's six now. Uh, so six years ago, I had my dog and we started chucker hunting a lot. Um, and I found that I wasn't happy with the trail running shoes chucker hunting. Like where we were going was basically climb straight up this hill and just side hill on really steep, slick, wet grass. It's usually, you know, you're, it's December, January. So there's a little bit of snow here and there. And, um, and I found that unlike hunting where I'm very conscientious about where I'm putting my feet down, when I'm chucker hunting, you really like, especially when your dog's on point, you know, like my head's on a swivel and I'm looking for the birds and I'm not paying attention to where I'm stepping. So I needed, I found I needed a boot that like was a little bit more forgiving there where you could just, you know, not have to pay so much attention. And if you stepped on something funky or it prevent your ankle from rolling. Uh, and also, um, this, you know, very cold and, and wet and snowy. So Gore-Tex was critical. So the, those that's the reason I started going down like, okay, there's gotta be a boot out there that I can get to work for me. Um, and it's been a few years now of trying to, trying to find that and still, yeah, have not found it at all. Um, so long story rambling here that 
I've really, yeah, since last October through now, I said I got quite a few pairs of boots, been trying them and rotating them, and um, I've come full circle again to the concept of a boot from like a design standpoint in my head makes no sense at all because um, it's basically a, your your typical hunting boot is very stiff, um, completely lock your foot into the boot. Don't allow your arch to flex, right? Um, doesn't allow for um, your ankle to pivot and move. And if, and if you think about the foot, obviously this thing is, uh, are the bones and the structure in the foot is extremely complex. And it's designed to adjust to the terrain underneath your foot, right? Um, and, and adapt. Where you put this boot on, you take all that flexibility away, and then you basically kind of put that torque you're like trying to transfer that torque from the boot bypass your ankle and put it into your leg and knee and hip um and it just doesn't make sense to me right like we're we're we're, uh designed for our foot to flex and propel us forward and adjust to the terrain underneath our feet and a boot just completely bypasses that Uh, so that whole concept it just uh, seems so odd to me that that's what's become popular. Um, and, and I hear guys all say all the time, well, like, well, if you're hunting really steep, rocky country, you need a stiff boot. And man, I just completely and utterly disagree. I've said I've gone, um, <laughs> uh, other than I think, I think there's certain applications like the chucker hunting, but I think I would think the vast majority of people are, are going to be better off with a, a, a more flexible shoe. But I've, at the same time, that's my opinion. And I've hunted with a lot of guys that, that, hunt in a stiff boot and, and they don't have feet issues, but for whatever reason, they just, they just kill me. I can't, I can't find a boot yet that I could go like, like you said, do a two hour hike and not have foot issues where just about every, uh, shoe from ultras. I've got a pair of innovates to Solomon's. Um, I can just slap them on and, and go, you know, hammer out six plus miles and my feet are completely fine. Um, so it's a, it's, a, I, it's an interesting, um, you know, thing. And I, I, I guess boots learning on the history of a little bit more that they, they started getting developed in, in, um, Italy, right. That's where all these boot companies kind of originated from. And I can't remember what, do you remember what they were doing, Mark? They were like mining or something up in the mountains there. Yeah. I want to say that's what yeah. it was. Um, yeah. and you'll, you'll see a lot of them. One thing that I found, um, when I was doing my boot research was to look, if you flip a boot, look look at the tread pattern on the bottom and if they have the really flat uh i can't remember what they call it front, basically at the toe um is basically completely flat rubber designed for uh there's no tread there right it's just a flat slab of rubber that's designed for like catching the edge of a rock um like if you're just you know essentially rock climbing right mm-hmm. uh, and i found that if you see that it's a pretty good indicator that what they're designing that boot for, and it's going to have a really stiff sole. So the, a lot of those I could just immediately write off as um, like, yeah, okay, that's going to be too stiff for me. So, hmm. Yeah, that I've just looked it up because when you start talking about the history, maybe think of that Technica podcast again. That was episode 179. Um, it's titled What You Need to Know About Hunting Boots. So we spoke with a designer from Technica, um, but that conversation was not product specific to Technica and it is pretty interesting the history of boots why they were developed in Italy why so many of the brands are still from that region and really just honestly we want to speak with not like a salesperson or marketing person but an actual shoe and boot designer about like the foundations of a boot the design decisions that go into it so it's pretty interesting conversation if you guys didn't catch that episode yeah absolutely 
Steve, you were you were super sounding like one of those hippie barefoot runners for a while as you're describing <laughs> why boots don't make any sense. I was like, just imagine you frolicking through yeah. the woods and bare feet yeah. for a bit. I said that I'll put a boot on. Um, it's just fighting what your a boot is fighting what your body naturally is designed to do, right? Um, so a, a boot will feel comfortable for me in some regards for the first couple miles, but that long term, all day. Um, is exactly what you're experiencing with the Garmont, right? Like it feels good. You're like, oh man, this is nice and comfy. And if you're just doing short hunts, I think it's great. But if you're talking like on your feet, sun up to sundown, backpacking, um, I think, you know, the, the benefits of, of allowing your foot to flex and move and do what it's designed to do outweighs the extra ankle support that you get, right? Um, so do you have an experience where let's say you would have done – X mile hike, called an eight or 10 mile hike, maybe more with some weight in trail runners versus boots. And then the next day your body physically feeling different because in the boot, you were essentially taking a different step, moving differently, right. had a limited motion, et cetera. Like, do you feel that in your body then? I think so. Yeah, I couldn't. I mean, it's, it's so hard to, one thing I've learned like doing pack design is it's like to compare no two hikes in order to same. test yeah. things. Yeah. In order to test things, I literally have to like hike right after, you know, like literally go do two miles, stop, uh, preferably it's like a little loop. It's like a two mile loop, do the loop with one way, you know, stop, change out, you know, change out the hip belt or something, whatever. And then do that exact loop again. Um, cause if I do a one, one day and and then wait 24 hours and do the next day, it is so hard to pinpoint the little differences, you know, because yeah. um, just how the pack could be loaded, how I'm feeling. I mean, just the, uh, the terrain, whether it's up or down or a constant grade up and then, and then back down, like there's um, it's too hard to exactly pinpoint it. But I would definitely say, yes, that um, my body, my joints just feel better when I do a hike with trail running shoes versus um, versus a stiffer boot. So hmm. like I said, I haven't. Um, I haven't had a boot yet that I could just, um, like I've got one trail that I could do that's six miles and I can like just freaking, I try to average about 3.7 miles an hour on it. Just, you know, with a 50 pound pack, just head down hiking basically as fast as you can go. Um, I haven't found a boot yet. I can do that and not feel significant like, um, discomfort at some point, right. Where just my a trail running shoe, I just basically knock it out. So um, but again, I don't know. Like I said, I've definitely come, this, these are my opinions. Uh, I, I hike with plenty of guys, um, and hunt with them that, that wear stiff boots that prefer them, that it works for their body. Um, I think I know a few, a month or two ago, I, I remember saying like, um, basically if your feet aren't happy, don't stop looking, um, until your feet are happy. If you, hmm. if you're, you know, if you're the guy getting back to the truck after a half day or full day hunt or getting back to your tent at night and the first thing you want to do is take your boots off. I strongly encourage you to to keep looking for a better shoe option because you shouldn't have that. You should have comfortable feet all day. Um, and, and, you know, so keep looking if yeah. you're that guy, which I think is 90% of guys, right? Yeah. Very few people I know absolutely love their boots top down. That's cool. I got a um, random question for you, Steve, going back to death hike stuff and it being canceled. I've been on my own um, trying to figure out what I'm going to do how i want to do something it's most likely going to be solo i want to do something for sure in the next two weeks if at all possible but obviously don't want to be gone forever from the fam with everything going on so if i throw it out there that i have 
call it two days. What is your first thought on a good goal for me? What would you assign me to do for a death hike? <laughs> uh, I'd, I'd shoot between 20 to 25 miles. That'd be tough. Yeah. Oh, no, on, that's easy. That's easy? No, no. A per day. day? Sorry. Yeah, per day. Yeah, that's so, what yeah, I was 40, thinking. 40 to 50, yeah. Yeah, okay. That's yeah. what I was thinking. I mean, knowing, knowing you know, you'd be able to knock that out. I, I wouldn't... Uh, Especially if you're thinking about this solo, I wouldn't push much harder than that just for safety reasons, you know. Yeah. Uh, if you had two or three guys with you, which, uh, um, you know, during this time I could recommend not doing. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> well, that was my, that was, so that was my other thing too is one of my thoughts was do 50 miles as fast as possible. And I was even thinking hiking through the night if needed, but then I was also, weighing the understanding of doing that you know like take for example the actually the first death hike that i was on i forget what year that was but we the few of us ended up going through the night and essentially doing that hike straight through and so i look back on that and i'm like oh no factor i've done that before can do it again but then being solo in the middle of the night in the dark and just from like a a decision making mindset you can mm-hmm. be think you're making good decisions, um, but if you're, you know, on lack of sleep and all that, I'm questioning the true sanity of trying to go through the night solo, I guess, is part of what's holding me up on planning. That's the main thing holding me up on planning. Yeah, I I would, if you're going solo, I would err on the side of caution. Still make it physical and tough if you just knock out, uh, you know, how many, how many hours of daylight do you have? So say you've got... Um, you know, 15 hours of daylight right now. I don't know if that's correct, but, mm-hmm. and then let's assume you could average, uh, two to two and a half, you know, like try to be moving during the most of daylight hours. That'd be physical enough for you. So I guess that would put you, you know, closer to 30 miles a day, mm-hmm. um, which is, uh, as we, you know, depending on how much elevation gain that and the trail conditions that could be pretty dang hard to do. Yeah. Well, that, yeah, that was something else I was thinking because obviously we don't, um, have massive elevation gain here in Missouri where I'm at compared to, you know, being out West and the death hikes that we've done. So I was partially thinking averaging no less than three miles an hour might be doable. Like even with breaks, if I'm just on trail, um, the area I'd be heading into there's, there's elevation change for sure. Like it's not like Northern Missouri where it's super flat. I'd basically be down on the Ozark mountains, um, where there's some good elevation, but yeah, I don't know. Like, you know, when I hike, hike, like just do a training hike with weights, um, I'm typically anywhere from three and a half to like 3.8 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm thinking if I'm lighter, because I'm not going to be purposely carrying extra weight and I'm on trail, even with brakes, if I could keep an average of three miles an hour, um, I don't know. I'm curious to see if that's doable because that that is also part of like exactly what I was thinking. It's like, well, maybe I don't have to go through the night if I can maybe start in the dark for a few hours and then just say, how fast can I do 45 miles? Right. So, you know, I could do that in 15 hours if I average three miles an hour type thing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm going to, yeah, I, in the I next week I've, or two, like, I'm going to try and do something. Yeah. Like it. one thing I've learned, um, it it's like this exponential curve when you're trying to maintain that pace over over time a long time yeah yeah it, it gets like 
when we did the hundred mile hike where we hiked for two hours, rest for half an hour, hike for two hours, rest for half an hour. Right. So at the end of seven hours versus, uh, seven hours, if I was just hiking, well, if I hike the equivalent distance, uh, mm-hmm. I, like the energy expenditure and the toll on your body, um, is so different and it's, it's, it's really wild how different it is, but those little breaks and rests, it's cumulative, really, right? Like all that, you know, just what's that? Builds, it's just cumulative. Like that stuff yes. builds up. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, so I, I definitely learned it was, I think it's a, advice. Um, I know I think I've given out before when you're packing out, um, if you're like, if you're just, you know, you're done, you're done hunting, you're just getting back to the truck and you know, you got a hundred pound pack, whatever, just do whatever you want. But if you're hunting with a partner and he's still got a tag and you're just getting the meat back to the truck, man, take your time. That difference, the toll on your body is substantial. Uh, if you got a hundred pound pack, literally hike a mile, take the pack off, sit there for 10 minutes and then mm-hmm. put it back on, hike a mile and just kind of do that very methodically. Um, or, or hike for half an hour, you know, which is probably what, you know, you can do a mile and, uh, you're probably gonna be about two miles an hour average with that kind of weight, you know, depending on the terrain. Um, so hike for half an hour, which would be a mile rest, hike half an hour rest. And it, um, yeah, I, I, it's a, I would say you're going to feel like 50% better the next day as far as soreness and fatigue. If you take those little breaks. Yeah. I'm just curious, you know, wanting to do something short on time and limiting how much time I'm gone. Like, how can I push the limit, you know, still and do something physical and find where that limit is with being short on time? I would just do a uh, get up at like 3 a.m. and try to like hammer out 45 miles in a day. That would be impressive. Brutal. Yeah. Um, yeah. Instead of trying to do an overnight deal, I would I'd like, you know, get like find a find a trailhead an hour from your house, leave your house at two in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're going to be somewhat lacking on sleep. Uh, you know, only have four or five hours or something, uh, hit the trailhead at 3 AM and then try to just knock out 45 miles. Don't have any, uh, depending on how close you are from a road or something like that, but don't have any overnight gear so that you're like just forced to freaking hammer it out. And that yeah. would be, that'd be freaking tough. Um, that'd be, uh, by about mile 30, you'd be done. And, uh, those last 15 would be pretty yeah. rough. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Mission accomplished or challenge accepted, I should say. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We'll see. I remember when I was uh, training when we did the 100 mile death hike, there's a trail that's 20, only 20, 30 minutes away. As you were saying that, I was thinking, oh, I could just head there. But I did a 25 mile day then. Um, I definitely felt it, you know, like I was moving relatively light. I'm trying to, th- I was trying to think of what, I think I was purposely carrying a little bit of weight for that just cause I knew, you know, for the death hike, I'd be carrying some overnight gear and food. I want to say I did 25 miles with probably about 25 pounds cause I was trying to replicate mm-hmm. what would my pack weight be for the death hike. And it as what didn't even end up being that much, but, um, yeah, moving super light. Yeah. That, that'd, that'd be an interesting one. Yeah. I like right. it. Might have to report back on that here soon. I just need to catch a day with some decent weather. I can sneak away. Um, After all this rambling, Steve, let's hit a listener question. All right. So he's talking about backcountry communications. Um, He says in the past he's used a Garmin Rhino for communications and navigation, been happy with it, but he's to the point now where he realizes he needs a satellite communication. So He's heard us talk about an inReach and specifically the inReach Mini, but he was also curious, what do we do for 
other communications. Do we use two-way radios? Do we use text features on the inReach exclusively? So there it sounds like he's talking about communicating um, you know, between people in the area because he's mentioned two-way radio. Um, and then he said, what about navigation? Do you continue to use a handheld GPS or just smartphone apps? So I, I think there's kind of three things in there. One is communication to call it the outside world via the satellite. Number two is communication amongst people potentially in the backcountry. Do you use inReach for that or two-way radio? And then number three is navigation GPS type functionality. So what are your thoughts there? Uh, yeah, inReach is amazing. Um, I mean, we've said it a million times from for so many different reasons. Um, everybody, everybody should have one. Uh, imagine they must have. Oh, I think uh, rambling here. I think Delorme had a patent on something there that nobody could copy that what they're doing exactly. But at some point, some competitors will pop up and there'll be more options and it'll get more competitive, maybe on pricing and things like that. But right now, your option is the Garmin inReach, and then they have different models: the full size one, the mini one. Um, I don't really see any upside to getting the size one, um, because pretty much at this point, everyone's going to have a cell phone in their pocket. Um, so as, as long as you're somewhat, um, I don't say you have to be tech savvy, but the, the, the two have to Bluetooth together. So sometimes they disconnect and you got to reconnect them and things like that. So it's a little bit. Uh, once you learn the process, it's really simple. But um, that'd be the only argument is like maybe for my dad who's 65, I'd just give him a regular inReach, you know, that he could message from easier and stuff like that. Um, so either one of those, and then, um, yeah, that. Uh, so that's going to be your, you know, device that you can. Uh, that's obviously your safety device and your communication back home device. Um, me and everybody I know has had terrible luck with inReach to inReach messaging out in the field. Uh, it's just very, very spotty. Sometimes it works great. Sometimes messages don't come through for days. So we've definitely found that it's um, completely unreliable um, to if you have to have it, right? If it's your only source of communication with your hunting buddies in the field, it's not good. Um, there's a specific instance where uh, I wasn't there, but Tyler uh, Crockett and, and Lenny, the co-owner of XO with me, they were supposed to meet up in the mountains. Tyler was up there elk hunting. Lenny had to come back for work and then I was going to go back and meet him. Um, and they literally could not, they ended up, I was like the middleman cause they could get messages to me with my cell phone. And so I had to coordinate back and forth, like getting the two to meet up. Um, cause they just, they they would not, the messages would not come through to each other. So, um, that, and that's happened time and time and time again. Um, so it's it's frustrating there. If that was cleaned up, it'd be just absolutely amazing. If it because you typically, as long as you got good um, signal to the sky, like you could text. I can text my wife at home. You know, I'd say almost in real time, as if it's straight from my cell phone. Sometimes there's a little bits of lags here and there, but uh, yeah. it's pretty dang impressive. Um, so if that worked the same when you're device to device out there in the field, it'd be incredible. But so far, it doesn't. I'm, I'm sure there. I'm sure they're aware of it. I've talked to a Garmin sales rep that, that he admits that, yeah, that's not perfect. Um, so I think it's got to be something they're addressing and fixing, I would think. Or, or maybe it's just a, a flaw in how the communications work. I'm not sure. But um, So, yeah, if, if you've got buddies out in the field, uh, the, the Rhino is still a, a pretty killer system to have, you know, because it's um, – uh, you know, you can um, – it gives you location of that person, I believe. Um you know, they send you a signal, then you have a map on your phone and it tells you where that came from. So from a uh, kind of safety thing in the field, that's pretty, 
pretty nice to have for sure. Um, I know I got, I bought a pair of them specifically for elk hunting with my dad where, um, cause he can't always, um, you know, there's basically days where I want to go on, on a bigger hike, bigger hunt. And, and he's, you know, more hunting kind of the flatter ground and, and hunting off old logging roads and stuff like that. So there's days where, um, you know, he's, he goes and hikes in and sits on a trail crossing or something like that. And, uh, I, I like just having that, like he's got the device, I got the device and I know I can get through to him if something were to happen. So I'm trying to find him in the middle of the night. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, radios are great. Obviously you got to pay attention to your state's regulations. A lot of them, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure exactly what all the rules are at this point, but some, it's definitely illegal to use as an aid and, and killing an animal. You can't walk your buddy into a spot. Um, and, uh, so yeah, just make sure you're careful there. Uh, what was the other part of the question? Uh, navigation. Oh, so navigation. not communication, yeah, yeah, but yeah. yeah, handheld GPS or app or that. I, man, I don't, at this point, if you've got a, a decent cell phone with a decent size screen, there's absolutely no reason to have a quote unquote old school GPS in my opinion. Um, they're, you know, the, the phone's just so much easier to use and faster and bigger screen, better colors, you know, Onyx and, uh, base map and um, there's so many great tools out there now just get your phone get it fully charged before you leave you know I always just plug it in on my drive up to wherever I'm going so it's fully charged and then slap that thing I put it um, in airplane mode and then also on battery save mode and typically it's going to last you know quite a few days I'd say four four days ish um, you know turn it off at night uh, obviously the the lithium batteries um, suffer in the cold, so my cell phone's typically in my pocket while I sleep, um, uh, so that it's staying warm and uh, that help keep the battery longer. Um, but yeah, it's the the phone's awesome. And then just have a battery bank. There's jump on Amazon. You can get them for ten dollars to twenty dollars. I'd recommend. Um, you'll find that they're rated in milliamps, which is basically just the the battery capacity inside. Um, so I think most cell phones are going to be. The battery inside is like 2,500 to 3,000 milliamps. So if you find something that's a 3,000 milliamp uh, battery, you're gonna you'll that'll basically like if your phone's completely dead, it'll charge it completely full one more time and give you kind of a good idea of of what that will do. Um, so yeah, you just have a battery back and that that'll also charge. I just have a cable to charge my inReach uh, and a cable to charge my phone and that battery pack. And so um, I'm pretty well covered. Make sure everything's charged when you leave the trailhead. Have a full charge battery pack and you could, you know, easily be back there for eight plus days and and just be totally fine. Yeah, I mean, the only um, I'm sure most guys are already running phones for navigation, but the only thing that I would advise people if you're newer to that, or like this guy coming from a handheld GPS, is you know make sure to test the offline functionality before you go offline. Meaning, you know, if you're downloading maps or imagery that you want to use in the backcountry and you don't have service, and you theoretically download it and assume that it's ready for offline use just make sure to put your phone in airplane mode disconnect from all networks and actually make sure uh, before you leave connection that those maps are working as you intended because sometimes things happen you know um, I've had it happen before where it looks like a map downloaded but for whatever reason it didn't actually um, load mm-hmm. into offline mode correctly so that's just one thing that can theoretically bite you that's a a check that I always do, um, you know, before I take a trip or before I go offline for an extended time is to actually make sure those maps are there, the data is there. And honestly, same thing for, um, for the inReach, 
before I take a trip, you know, I'll send test messages um, to important contacts just to make sure that, you know, the account's good. And especially like, um, you know, I typically turn my service on and off or like suspend it or pause it, that type of thing. So every time I re-enable the service for inReach, um, just to make sure things are working before I leave. So just, you know, simple stuff like that can um, maybe save a trip. Uh, another thing that can bite you is if you haven't in reach but get a new phone, you always want to verify that. Um, if there's been software updates, firmware updates, just all that stuff. So it, long story short, just make sure you check stuff before you actually go offline. Yeah. Speaking of, uh, one thing you hit on there was the, uh, if you don't, the Garmin inReach, the app is called Earthmate, and inside of Earthmate, um, that's how you, that's where you go on your phone to to do messaging and stuff like that. Um, the they actually have a really solid map software. It's it's uh, different features than Onyx, um, but one thing I really like is how you download maps inside of Earthmate because um, it's you just download by kind of by quadrants, um, and it's you get USGS quad maps on there. Uh, which are really nice, and then it has really good aerial imagery that you can download. Different types of maps, um, topo maps that you can download as well. So that's um, if you just have an inReach, you get the app for free, if I remember right, uh, and you can download maps to that. So you don't have to have like Onyx or Base Map or some of the other options out there. Uh, it's a, it's a great resource. I I actually. When I'm hunting, I bounce between the two, between Onyx and Earthmate, um, depending on what I'm looking for. You know, I, I really like having the the quad sheets that show um, springs and and there's just more information on them in general than what I see on Onyx. Um, and then I said the arrow imagery I really like as well. So um, throw that out there. I like it. Steve, I think it's a good one for today. Let's uh, keep it going. And listeners, again, if you have questions, feedback, anything like that, shoot us a message, podcast at xamountgear.com. But yeah, hopefully you guys are staying safe, doing well. If you need anything from us, give us a shout, and we'll talk to you soon.